Wake up at Holiday Inn Express to a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. Count on all the hot, fresh coffee you need and an incredible breakfast buffet that has something for everyone, like eggs, cinnamon rolls, and even hot, fresh pancakes with all the toppings you crave. Next time, do yourself a favor and stay at a Holiday Inn Express with a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. So, when you wake up at Holiday Inn Express, you'll wake up happy, a part of IHG Hotels and Resorts. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It is the Custard TV podcast, and you may not have heard my voice for a while unless you spend your days just going through the archives for the episodes that I'm on. I'm Luke, and I am the editor of the website. We hope you found this on thecustardtv.com. Joined, as always, by the proper podcast host, Matt in the North. Not the problem. I, I would say regular or reliable is the word I would use. The no, first thing I said I, wrong. I, I would also say I would hope people are already subscribing the, to this on their podcast app of choice. So have found us um, because they're long-time fans of the show. But if you are a first-time fan of the show and you have found us on the website, well. God, God this is why I stepped away because it's too painful to do even the intro now. Uh, but joining us is someone who earlier in the week said he was up for this and is now having second thoughts. It's site <laughs> contributor Nick Bartlett. How are you, Nick? Uh, thanks, Luke. <laughs> how, how are your guidance counsellor skills? Are you going to be able to step in if things get really nasty? You've got a little one, haven't you? How old are they? Just turned three. Oh, so you know how to sort of stop temper tantrums before they start, so when Matt kicks Yeah, best off. of luck with Luke, then. Yeah, the terrible twos were over, but apparently three nagers is a thing, so... Oh. Okay. Getting into that now. Three nagers? I've never heard that expression. I had my heard... niece is a three nager, definitely. Yeah. Wow. We're going to be discussing the return of Barry on Sky Comedy and HBO, the Hunt for Roundmoat, which is a new three-part true-life crime story thing on ITV, Florida Man on the old Netflix, and Apple TV's latest thriller, quote unquote, the last thing he told me. First of all, though, Matt, as you say, if you haven't found us on the website, you found us on iTunes. We are available on all your podcast apps of choice. You're, you're doing this the wrong way round. You've See, not been here for so long. Oh, crikey. What have we been watching? Okay, Nick, what have we been watching? Not us together. I've not well, been round for I th- a while. I think the two things we really should talk about are Succession and the Unforgotten finale, seeing as Nick wrote about Unforgotten for the site. Yeah, we've stupidly already done this, but I'll act <laughs> surprised when Nick tells me his thoughts. I haven't heard this. Go on. Neither have the listeners. Nick, what have you been watching? Um, Well, (laughs) I've watched um, Succession and the Unforgotten Finale. (laughs) Good! I'd like both of your views on the Unforgotten Finale, because, Luke, we haven't talked about this either. Nick, what were your thoughts overall on the series? Because obviously you wrote about the first episode for the website, so what did you... what Did you enjoy the series as a whole, and what did you think of of the final reveals? I, I, I did enjoy the series as a whole, but with caveats basically what are those caveats <laughs> i thought the um, mystery was less interesting than the um 
the personal relationship between the two main characters. I sort of enjoyed that a lot. In previous series, it felt like the suspects all sort of were a little bit closer. And as a result, I think it was it's a bit easier to sort of, what's the word, like relate to them maybe more. Whereas in this series, because they're all so disparate, they're from different areas, they barely even knew of each other's existence until the final episode. Previous series felt a bit more focused. But you thought the mystery was a bit lacking, but you enjoyed the bits with Sonny and with Jess. Yeah, after Nicola Walker left, they want to sort of reassure audiences that they were in safe hands going forward. And I think they did that, basically. I, I like that they didn't just hit the ground running and everything's fine and dandy. Like, they obviously clashed immediately. The growing respect, I think, felt organic and it felt sort of believable to me. And we were talking about that scene where they go into interrogation room together. And that's like that was sort of like the turning point, And I really liked that. Yeah, it felt quite realistic, didn't it, to me? Like, you know, you've got that settling in period and they both had a lot going on in their personal lives. So that was quite authentic. What about you, Luke? Because we haven't heard any of your unforgotten thoughts Mm -hmm. this series. I said this to Nick and I I hope this comes across in the way it's intended. That I often think with Unforgotten, it's the cast I don't believe. So, like, there was a character in the series that was a social worker that was... Was he in France? He was, wasn't he? But I never really understood his character and Nick and I were saying that he is one element of it that you could take out and wouldn't make I would agree with that completely. Looking back, I equated him to the pharmacist in Happy Valley. I think you could do the same with both of those and that, you know, I don't think you'd miss that. Nick and I were saying any emotional beats that weren't involving... Sanjeev and Sinead Keenan's characters just left me a bit cold. So any time the dead girl's mother was emotional or had an emotional outburst, it just left me cold. Nick said the same. I didn't connect to it on the usual level and the mystery left me a bit confused in places. Yeah, it it wasn't my favourite series of Unforgotten, but there are no bad series of Unforgotten is what I'll say. Certainly in the final episode, I found her backstory once you heard obviously her origins growing up with her grandparents what they did when they found out she was pregnant I found that all captivating Mm -hmm. I thought the whole procedural thing this series the way that they were sort of linking it in with the underfunding of public services Mm -hmm. I thought that was all really well done how they linked that back to Tony Hume and his changing ideals after finding out about his granddaughter. I thought there was a lot in there. It was quite deep. I thought Chris did a good job in sort of weaving it all together. Anyone else got ice cream men in their vicinities now the sun's out? I've had three go by today just to turn round in the cul-de-sac. And then stopped. They played the music and everything, but not long enough for me to think, oh, I'm going to run out and get my shoes on. It's too did you want a 99? I did. That's all I wanted. A £2.50 now. I know, no. but I refused to do it. On that basis, I refused to do it. This is the kind of flight of fancy the podcast will go on occasionally. Now I'm back. Oh, I did hear one on my walk home from work on Friday, and it's quite disconcerting when you can't see it and you've got headphones in it. <laughs> it's like an ambulance. You don't know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ambulances... Let's move on to Succession, uh, which I saw this week, managed to avoid anything about it somehow. I don't know how I did it, except I watched it really early on Monday morning, which is probably what helped. I had such a visceral reaction to this in my stomach, in my mind afterwards. This was, of course, the death of Logan Roy. It had to happen at some point. It's what the show's called. But the way it was handled, I do think, and I've seen a lot of them, I do think it's the best 
screen death I've ever seen in as much as we don't see the screen death. I've written a, a review on the website in which I say in a lesser show you would have seen him clutching his chest and collapsing to the floor after he berated someone or shouted someone or something like that or fall down the stairs in spectacular fashion. It just hit me in the gut because I think it resonates so well because I think this is how a lot of us will learn of someone close to us dying. We won't be there when it happens. We'll just get a phone call, somebody in distress. The way the camera moved so you only just about saw him being worked on and there was one one up-close shot where you saw Brian Cox's head. But the way that it was all dealt with so humanely and you saw all these facades of these characters that we've known for four years just strip away and they became fragile and human and children losing a parent it it was it nearly broke me I'll be honest and I've been broken by a lot of character deaths and character developments in shows that I've really adored but I respected admired and was really touched by this Matt how did you view it I got wind that something was going to happen but because thankfully um it was bank holiday Monday uh, Mm. for us so no work meant I could watch it actually in the daytime but you know when you get rumblings of people just yeah. saying yeah, yeah. oh that was a brilliant episode that was a brilliant hour yeah, yeah. of television yeah, yeah. i did catch my and i said this to you on my youtube recommendations there was succession mid-season trailer and it's mm. like well there have only been three yeah, yeah. episodes why is it a mid-season trailer now so i i got the if i don't watch it now i know it's going to get spoiled and i don't think it actually i think people on the whole certainly that i follow we're all very good about not spoiling it, but you know I'm in agreement with everyone else. I think that you know the direction throughout what you as the audience were allowed to see, as you say, you could have quite easily been on that plane when it happened, but because you were seeing it through the eyes of the three kids on the boat, you know that gave you that panic, that sickness everyone's not knowing how to react and how to have those final words with Logan because, you know, we have seen this complicated relationship between these characters for the last three seasons and how gradually he's let everyone down and and you are left with confused children who don't really know how to say goodbye uh, to their father. Nick, you've spoken about you get really emotionally invested. What are the sort of the moments that you can go back to across your TV watching habits that had an effect on you that was profound. But the one that sprung to mind immediately was the episode in um, The Good Wife. When Will dies in The Good Wife, the happens completely off camera. When it's finally revealed, it's in the most sort of cold, uh, sterile way. And it's just like hits you like a ton of bricks. And it's, yeah, it felt similar to that. Shiv, her reaction was what got me in, in succession when she's just being sort of escorted back to the room by by Kendall. It was really well done. The fact that none of them really know how to articulate to Logan what they're trying to say. Uh, there's a bit where Roman gets close to saying something vaguely earnest and like or heartfelt, and he just has to sort of get the phone away from him. It's almost like I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, it's so authentic. It felt. I don't know if you've seen the clip of Jesse Armstrong talking about why he did it and the reasons behind it, but he said obviously part of the reason was like the shock value, but more than that, if he'd killed him off in the last episode, then you wouldn't have the reaction and what do we do now, which I think he wanted to explore as well. So that was 
part of the reason for the uh, for, the, for it happening this early on in the season. I'm just hoping now that this isn't a peak. Anything else, Nick, that you've been watching recently that you'd like to talk about? I binge watched uh, uh, Blue Lights, which I really loved. I thought that was really good. It doesn't necessarily grab you immediately, but I think that it's, the writing is really well done um, and the characterization is brilliant, I think. It's rare that I've watched a show where there's a character who I like completely despise in the first couple of episodes who then goes on to be like maybe my favourite character in the whole series. Who was that? Um, I, think, I think she's called Jen. As it goes on, she gets a lot more interesting and, yeah... And especially and Richard Dormer as well from um, uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, <laughs> uh, was amazing as well. So yeah, I enjoyed that series. I think I watched it over the course of like two days. I just really got into it. Also, um, I've been watching. I was talking to Luke about Star about Star Wars, the, the Mandalorian and the Bad Batch. I've been watching them as well. I've not been the biggest fan of this series. It's not great that it's been released on the same day as the Bad Batch every week because the Bad Batch, I think, has sort of shown it up. That Is week. that a cartoon animated Bad it's Batch? An, it, it's yeah, it's a cartoon. It's a spin-off of the Clone Wars. Basically been showing up the Mandalorian, I think, for week on week. And then this week, the Mandalorian suddenly got very, very good. Uh, and like, there's only a couple of episodes left now, am I right in that? Yes. I think next week might be the finale. <laughs> I'm not, not, not hundred <laughs> percent sure. But it's like the plot finally turned up and it feels like it's sort of been coasting and there's not really been much at stake in terms of like the characters, like they've just been sort of there. And um, yeah, it really felt like there's a lot of momentum in the, this this week's episode, and I I, I was like, oh hello, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got good. <laughs> I've been what meaning- about you, Luke? Okay, I have been watching a lot of stuff, but none of it really from this year. I'm still really liking Race Across the World. I watch yeah, that me too. weekly. What? I think it's one of the best shows on television, and not enough mm. people are talking about it. But apart from that, I use this time when I don't think there's a lot of great stuff on to rewatch a lot of stuff. Did Breaking Bad again, did Friday Night Lights again, did Justified again, and just really enjoyed revisiting a lot of these shows that I already love. But there's usually too much stuff coming at me that you can't justify a rewatch. So I did that and, and really enjoyed it. But there's not much week to week, and that's why I'm looking forward to Barry and Succession every week and something that I can really get my head into and, and involved in. I'm with you on Race Across the World. I just think the cast this year are really good. They've all got sort of stories that you can follow and root for them maybe in different ways and their past relationships and how they play into how they play the game. Yeah. And I think that's been really well done. And it just makes you think, I'd like to go to Canada, but oh no, I wouldn't because, you know, they can't get get around anywhere and there's like one train every week or something like that. Yeah. Been catching up with Ted Lasso as well. I'm up to date with that underwhelmed a little bit so far this season i have to say i i think you can tell that some of the people who work on it have been working on another the show as well because obviously shrinking will have been you know around the same time they would have been making the other show so brett goldstein hasn't been as present as he was in previous shows and roy kent for me is one of the best characters they sort of gone off in different directions in terms of like different plots almost every week. Uh, you can tell that they've got 12 sort of 45 minute episodes. So hopefully it can turn itself around. But I am a bit underwhelmed this season with, with Ted Lasso. So there you go. If you want to find uh, what uh, Dawn thought of Ted Lasso, then you can go to thecustardtv.com, read uh, our, in our latest reviews. She's also very kindly written about a show uh, you guys spoke about last week on Netflix called Beef. 
I assume that when you do those, what you've been watching, Matt, you haven't gone back to any of the shows that you did last week. No, I, I'd like to go back to Beef. It's just been a time thing this week. Beef will be one that I was really intrigued by. It was different from anything else that I've seen in a while. And something I don't think I thought about last week when watching it and listening to a podcast this week that has an Asian co-host is the way it looks at sort of Asian family relationships and the expectations that people in, you know, modern Asian people in America, their relationship with their parents and those, as I say, those sort of expectations. And I don't think possibly we spoke about it from those angles. It's sort of interesting now with that viewpoint to go back to it when I do. Cool. There's also um, my piece on succession that I've spoken about. And as Nick mentioned, the good wife, I assume you was mentioning it just to plug his big article <laughs> that's on the site now about the importance of that show and how it kept uh, the conversation about network TV alive. Really worth your time. If you're a fan or if not, it might just make you want to seek it out. Uh, the good wife piece from Nick is up there now. I've got a question for Nick. Uh, did you go on to The Good Fight and did you stick with that? I did go on to The Good Fight. I watched a few seasons of it. I didn't enjoy it quite as much. The main difference between The Good Fight and The Good Wife is they they really ramp up the sort of the swearing mm. <laughs> Good Fight. I think we said that, didn't we, Luke, when we reviewed it? And it's and just they because really... they can, really, I think, rather yeah. than it's necessary. But it's so disconcerting hearing him Diane Lockhart swear after, like, seven years of her not. Yeah, and they also really lean into the sort of slightly more absurdist elements. That was about the point where I started tuning out a little bit. Yeah. Early on, it, it was very good. And De- Delroy Lindo's in it, and he's amazing. He he left as well. It, I think I oh. tapped out when both Delroy Lindo and Kush Jumbo left at the same time. Oh, OK, yeah, that seems a wise move. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all of our stuff across a lot of social stuff. Twitter, I'm at Luke Custard TV. The podcast is at Custard TV Pod. Instagram's there. It's the Custard TV. The podcast is on all your podcast apps of choice. Please rate, review and subscribe. We've got a massive archive there. Uh, now, though, it's time for Nick's time to shine. Nick, where can we find you? Where else are you writing for? And how can we stalk you on various platforms? <laughs> find me on twitter at um imd bartlett now where very... did that come from because you're not a d you're an n so where did uh, the d come from there it's a pun on on imdb luke it's oh a i'm not good at puns luke's, luke's, <laughs> I, I think luke is being sarcastic there no i'm not i, I wish i was it would sound really? like if I, no it, it just didn't connect with me at all maybe I mean... it's a pun that doesn't quite work <laughs> I, I got it, Nick. Don't worry. I'm smart. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, you can also find me writing for Slash Film and, and Critical Popcorn. Matt's, at Matt's TV Bites and, uh, and that's, that's, it. that's all you need to know. But before <laughs> we go on, and there may, there may not be a conversation in this, but I feel like with Succession ending and Barry ending, I feel like TV's in a really possibly bad place with these two shows ending because... The streamers have made a TV landscape where everyone's vying for attention by basically seizing on all the IP that they've got and producing shows of varying degrees and varying successes from there. And it seems less and less likely that we're going to get a surprise hit like a severance, which hit and took hold. And I feel like broadcasters aren't really taking 
many leaps and bounds. And I don't feel we'll see another big succession type show that is big tentpole drama, that isn't a crime drama, it isn't a family drama. I mean, it's unique in itself anyway in that it doesn't fit into any boxes. But I do feel like we're in an age now that is less exciting, less risk-taking, and I wonder what your take on that, Matt, was. Because I know you've reviewed a lot more shows on the podcast week to week than I have, certainly this year. And you haven't felt compelled to stick with a great it, deal of it, them. So It what feels like things have dipped, definitely. And, and putting like the, the TV weeks and the coming soons together as I do, it feels more like certainly some of the streamers, Paramount Plus especially, is, is leaning on a lot of old ip i would say occasionally you still get like as i say like a beef that's completely different mm. from anything else yeah it's about a, a feud between two people that happens after a random incident of road rage and how it escalates and that's yeah. different from anything else you know it feels like a completely new idea yeah um but i think succession was a very much a slow burner it was it was a word of mouth it was a thing from a, a British writer that not a lot of people in America knew. Yeah. It was a cast of you know, it's like character actors, I suppose yeah. you would say. And, yeah. And I, I, I think what got us there was, you know, the script, the word of mouth. And I, I think there could be another show like that. There could be like a, a grower, you know, something with a good script. It just has to come along. What you're saying is you don't think an HBO would commission something like that now. No, you don't I, think they're going to take I, as much risks. I feel like there's just a, no appetite for risk-taking based on what's being commissioned and what's what they're putting their money into. You know, Netflix is trying some things, but they're not sticking with them. Amazon is trying some things and then dropping them like a stone. Like A League of Their Own, I felt, had, although that's an IP, I felt like it was an original idea. They were going to stick with it, and oh no, it's coming back for four more episodes and then ending. I just feel like this this appetite of if it's not something you're already familiar with, we're not going to take a risk on it, and that just seems. I'm sure Nick would say, as he's more sort of in the film landscape, that it's very similar, isn't it, in what gets into cinemas as well. Unless it's sort of an existing IP part of a franchise, it is very hard now for an original idea to take hold. Would you agree with that? In terms of like getting a wide sort of release, for sure. Mm. If anything's ever in competition with like one of the big franchises it just gets completely punted into oblivion you know um i remember tr- going, going trying to go to the cinema to see something that wasn't a marvel film at the same time a marvel film was out it's, it's like a fool's errand you can't do it i mean i've got minx in my head at the moment which was which was a very risky and that got cancelled by hbo max and um i think did stars pick it up Is yeah but right? only because the majority of the season was done. Mm. They didn't have to do any work. All they had to do was promote it a little bit when it comes. I out. think those original ideas are still there, but there's certainly, you know, I think last year we were having almost something every week popping up at us. So, I mean, last year was the year that Apple had a lot of taking a lot of risks and and giving a lot of people chances to tell the stories. Whereas this year. There's been stuff that I can see where they're going, but it's not quite for me, like Hello Tomorrow or the Big Door Prize. You know, there are those, but a lot more of them seem to be sort of sanitised stuff or like we'll be talking about one in a bit or something like a Dear Edward or a Shantaram. I think we're in a slump. That doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be another period like this round the corner 
we'll just have to wait and see. There are some interesting things that I've looked, you know, on the coming soon. There are some interesting ideas, but I think the thought is more and more if we can get something that is already a book or a you know, like The Last of Us, a video game, yeah. then we've got that in bit order. Or we talked about last week, Reese Rise to the Pink Ladies. Who wants that? I'm sure that people said this when The Sopranos ended. What I think happened then is that people took what worked about The Sopranos and learned from it, and that became stuff like The Americans and Breaking Bad and Deadwood and all these things. And I don't feel like that template is being used. There's not the appetite for long-running things in particular. When you say there's not what with executives are you talking about? Yes. They don't yeah. seem to want things that run for more than, I mean, four seasons for succession. And I've always championed the idea that the creatives should call it a day when they feel it's right. I'm not going back on that. I do think it means that things don't get the chance to breathe and become good either. But I think in the case of Succession and Barry, that was the decision of the creatives, wasn't it? That's what I'm saying, and I'll always always champion that. Yeah, but then this is a tale as as old as time, not to quote Beauty and the Beast. There's always been shows that have lasted one season that freaks and geeks, you know, that could have gone on longer but didn't because of executives, so... Let's transition into Barry, because that's a good good segue into it. This is the Bill Hader comedy where a hitman is sent to kill somebody in an acting class. He walks into the acting class and he is spellbound by what's going on in there, thinks he could work it out as a career, falls under the wing of uh, Jim Cousineau, played by the brilliant Henry Winkler, Falls in love with a girl in the class, Sally, played by Sarah Goldberg. And by the time we reach the third series, things are really dark. Barry has killed somebody close to Jean and is now in prison for it. So that's where season four opens. Barry's in prison. He makes a phone call to Jean, who is still at the press conference announcing his prison term. Everyone knows what he's been up to. Jean tells him... That, he, that you know, not to call him, but Barry says he loves him. Sally has fled to her hometown in Joplin, Missouri, and only learns about what Barry's been up to when she's turned on her phone and is flooded with messages. Her freak out comes at a very particular funny place, which I really appreciated. Her parents are completely disinterested and unfazed about the scary development in her life, but Barry has very near celebrity status in prison as a cop killer. Fugues, Barry's handler for the past, is in the same prison as him and agrees to work as an FBI informant but is terrible at it and that doesn't go well. The wonderful creation of NoHo Hank and his boyfriend Christabel have fled to Santa Fe. Hank is still deeply traumatised about being held captive in season three but is trying to move on with their life. They're living in Santa Fe and they learn that there's a shortage of sand so they bring their two crews together to try and rectify that and go straight. But Hank also wants to break Barry out of prison. When Sally gets a call from Barry in prison, she's very angry. But when she visits him at the uh, middle part of episode two, she says she feels safe with him, which I thought was a really interesting development. And the other thing that happens in these episodes is that Jean tells uh, Janice's father, Jim Moss, not to talk to the media. And then he puts on a one-man show for the guy from Vanity Fair. And at the end, uh, Hank decides that they have to kill Barry because he knows too much. Now, I'm sure if you've been watching my timeline and the website for a while, you'll know that I've been spamming it with my conversations with the entire cast of Barry. 
I have subsequently seen seven of the eight episodes. I think it's a very powerful, grounded, brilliantly funny, but also incredibly dark season. The cast are firing on all cylinders. The direction from Bill Hader throughout is fantastic. I just think it's a really unique, special little show that packs as much drama, fun and entertainment into its half hour as any hour long or 45 minute show would. Nick, I'm going to go to you because you're a recent convert to the show and when I reached out about discussing it on the podcast, you're just in the middle of season three. So it must have been good to come from that to this. Yeah, it was. I found series three to be a little bit jarring. First two seasons felt like a comedy with a with a with a bit of drama in it. It sort of flipped in season three to just being a sort of drama with sort of slight comic overtones. I think there's always been a dark edge to it, but I really I really enjoyed it, and I felt I felt like that's that helped sort of with this the first two episodes of season season four felt that felt a little bit more of a natural sort of segue if that, if that makes sense like if a prog- natural progression sorry i feel like barry from the first series to this series he's still comic but he's tragic as well and he's and he's deeply deeply disturbed bill hader's just brilliant in it <laughs> all the characters in the show are completely damaged anyway yeah. and they're even more damaged by being in barry's orbit and i think one of the things that i said there about uh, sally saying she feels safe with him it's crazy because he's a nutcase, he's a dangerous man, but she is so damaged by her video going viral of what she called Darcy Carden's uh, assistant character in the last season. Her show has been cancelled. She doesn't know where to turn to. Everything she does crumbles beneath her. There's a scene later on in the season where she tries her hand at teaching a class and she gets an actress from that class onto a movie set and what happens there is is really tragic for Sally. So everyone here is damaged. So I think when she says she feels safe with him, it's a convenience thing rather than a he's a safety net for me. It does take some massive swings and some massive narrative decisions in this season. And from my perspective, it really works well. And it's really engaging and they did some things that really surprised me. And they still managed to keep it really funny, you know. Hank and Christabel having this meeting with the two warring factions, but having it at Dave and Buster's, which is like a Chuck E. Cheese, really makes it engaging and interesting. And the one-man show that Gene puts on from the guy from Vanity Fair, really well done. I think everyone is just really brilliant in the show. You had similar feelings to Nick about season three, that you felt a lot of the characters were disparate, and they still are when we come Mm. to season four so how do you feel i would say it feels like they're working to get them all sort of back together and this first two episodes which i think act as like the first act Mm -hmm. to the final season of barry because at the end we learn that we probably won't be in this prison as much as we are in these first two episodes Bill Hader, absolutely brilliant. He has barely any dialogue, but you can tell exactly what Barry's thinking. You feel, you know, the relationships with Jean and with Sally and the disintegration. And I love Henry Winkler, uh, Jean's show for the Vanity Fair man. I like seeing, talking about the character, seeing Jean and Sally on screen together because when was the last time they were on screen together? Nick, you could probably tell us because you've been binging it. (laughs) Um, Season two? 
I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even sure if they have any interactions in season three. I think it yeah. must, I wouldn't be surprised if it was season two. Because I think part of the joy of it was these characters interacting, and they last season all sort of went off in different. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. Tis the season for chicken fingers at Raisin Cane's. Warm up with hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers, crispy, crinkle-cut fries, garlicky, buttered Texas toast, and the real source of holiday magic, cane sauce. And while you're treating yourself, don't forget to treat everyone on your list to Kane's gift cards and New York City-inspired plush puppies that benefit pet organizations. Happy holidays from Raising Kane's Chicken Fingers. One love. Did I mention there was some good moments, but I just felt that everyone was having slightly different stories. I love, you did mention it, Sally going back home to Joplin briefly and her parents. I thought they were brilliant. I can understand why she didn't stay there very long, but I would have liked a little bit more interaction between them and, you know, seeing her show and the way she portrayed the the abusive ex-boyfriend and her mum's reaction to that and how everything is sort of portrayed as her fault. You sort of see how she got to where she got by briefly meeting her parents, which I thought was a masterstroke. I wasn't as into the Hank and Christabel thing at the restaurant as you were, Luke. I think it feels a bit of Barry as it was rather than where we are now with Barry, if that makes sense. It almost feels like too much of an easy gag to have all these criminals go to this place and playing these arcade games. And then it's almost like they're selling them a timeshare, isn't it? You know, they're going around with this microphone and tagging in and out and running around. I did like Hank realising he's in the wrong place. Of running behind Christabel yes. to get back to where yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a clever little bit but I just felt of everything the Hank stuff stands out the most as being separate from the rest of it although as I said you know it comes back I liked the flashbacks to young Barry as well with with Fuchs and seeing the beginning of their relationship I thought that was a nice touch I think what you're doing is giving us a bit more certainly on Barry and Sally and and sort of where they come from and what the characters are now and sort of putting all that together as we go into the final season. And actually, going back to Succession a minute, I I liked how they did that with Connor in the last two episodes, Mm -hmm. looking a bit with his... They hadn't really mentioned about his mum and being sort of sent away to a sanatorium, but they did that and you can sort of understand the character a bit more. So I, yeah. I like anything like that. And I'm just really interested to see now we've sort of got through what I believe is the prologue yes. where we are going to end up. You brought Barry and Succession up in the same breath when you were talking about, you know, the commissioning before. Why do you think Barry hasn't become like as big a thing? You know, because to me, it still feels qu- still quite like a cult show. rather than, you know, maybe something that it should be. I agree with you. I don't know why. I don't know why. I I know in the US it has a big following, but I think here, Sky Comedy, people don't really know that it's a thing. It's not something they shout about here necessarily. 
I don't know why it hasn't become a thing. I think it's a it's hard It's on 9.40 as well on Monday yeah. night. It's a hard sell because it's called Barry. And you, ha you you know, you can't just say to somebody, watch it. You have to give them a bit of a synopsis. Oh, it's about this hitman that goes into an acting class. And they're not really sure of the tone when you describe it that way. I'm not really sure. Was it just on your radar, Nick, and you thought you'd get to it at some point? It's a show that I've been aware of for a while. And then... Um... I think I just like stumbled on it on Sky Comedy like one like one night and I was like oh I can watch all of it it's all yeah. there having tried to recommend it to people I know the premise of like a hitman joining a uh, an acting class it does make it sound maybe a little bit too silly as soon as I say it, I have to say no no but it's not <laughs> it's not like yeah, that. and Henry yeah. Winkler's there and I think people think oh it's half an hour it's going to be one thing and it isn't I think it has some of the best direction I've seen on TV. That bike chase from season three was incredible. I think the characterization is just really strong throughout as well. In the first two episodes, I was watching it, I was like, the whole thing with Sally's family, it's like you get a lot more sort of insight into why she is the way she is. But at the same time, I feel you feel like she's almost kind of growing as a character, whereas like someone like Jean is sort of regressing because he's sort of like gone back to sort of being quite a mercurial, mercurial yeah. and just being like, the United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash usbp. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm trying to get as much sort of fame and recognition out of this situation as he, as he can. None of it feels inconsistent. It just feels like this is what these characters would be like. I kind of agree with Matt about NoHo Hank because... At the end of season three, he's got probably the most traumatising <laughs> scene in the whole series, maybe. The one where he's locked up in the room and he can hear what's happening in the next room. Mm. And it's horrific. And like you can tell in the first episode of season four that he's still affected by that. Because he's like, the, the slightest noise sets him off. But then it does sort of lapse into sort of a bit more silly. Maybe it's maybe it's all sort of surface level and this will sort of come into it more later on. But at the moment, it does. I do agree with Matt that sort of the more sort of overtly comic scenes with him at the start do feel a little bit at odds with where he sort of is as a character at this point, maybe. They do it because Anthony Carrigan's so good at doing it, but yeah. I, I think sort of like the evolution of the character has gone past that point. Yeah, but I also do love him and Christabel together. As far as relationships go in this show, it's probably the most the healthiest one. <laughs> like Definitely. Um, <laughs> I also think you're saying about it not being a big hit. I think... What if you if you were to sit anybody down and watch that first episode with them, I think they'd be on board. It's just a hard sell do the synopsis for people and go, No, but it's really funny and it's really clever and it's really dark. I think it's something you just need to see and not enough eyeballs here at least have seen it and it's a shame. I can't believe you not mentioned that you made Bill Hader laugh twice. <laughs> I did to Nick and that was enough for me. <laughs> and I've just done it now, so there you yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Barry is on uh, Monday night's double bill this week um, at nine, 9.45, did you say? Or 9... 9.40. 9.40, um, that makes sense. After, um, what's his name, John Oliver, 
Oh, I see. He's number yeah. nine. Do we want to go on now to Humpharalmo? This is the classic ITV one. We are putting three episodes of a true life drama on back to back. And then the next night we are putting a documentary on about that case. <laughs> they did it with Anne. I think they did it with the canoe man thing that Chris Lang did. And now they're doing it with the Hunt for Raoul Moat, infamous story from the early 2010s. This dramatisation begins by introducing us to Samantha Stobart. Uh, she be- begins a romance with uh, Christopher Brown. He visits her estate and um, advertising uh, martial arts classes that he runs. As their relationship progresses, Samantha informs him of her relationship with Moat, who is currently in prison after assaulting one of his own children. Uh, we see that Moat plans to uh, reignite his relationship with Samantha when he leaves prison and believes that they and their daughter could be a family together. When Samantha visits him in prison, she informs him of her new relationship and lies telling him Chris is a police officer, hoping that will get Moat off their backs. Uh, but this infuriates him more, leading him to shoot and kill Chris uh, before second shot through the window of uh, Samantha's mum's flat, leaves her hospitalised. This incident leads to the the titular hunt uh, for Rao Moat, led by uh, senior Northumbria police officer Neil Adamson, played by Lee Ingleby. Uh, however, it seems that Moat is one step ahead of the investigation and still believing that Chris was a police officer is hell-bent on taking more revenge on other coppers. Luke, I'll go to you first on this. What are your thoughts on, on the hunt for Rao Moat? Yeah, I wasn't in the country at the time. Was this a big news story? I remember it because it became quite a big thing, didn't it, Nick? It became yeah. like a media frenzy as it goes on, the hunt and how long it went on. And um, I believe Ray Mears gets involved at one point, so I'm not sure if he's going to be portrayed. Ray Mears got involved and then Paul Gascoigne also got involved at some yes. point. Yes. It's mad. Okay. Yeah, I'm I... more invested now than I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's really solid. It's the guy who wrote Anne. I don't know his name, and I apologise for that, but it, the last thing he wrote for television was Anne, which I didn't continue with, but found the first episode quite powerful, and Maxine Pete giving a, a, a good, powerful performance. I think this has got a lot going for it, in as much as there's no big starry names, so you don't have to worry about, oh, that's David Tennant playing around Mo. Isn't his, isn't his accent good? You know, it's one of those shows where you are you don't really know anybody apart from the Ingleby, so it, you, it's easy to believe these people. I found it really involving and engaging while I was watching it, but it hasn't stuck with me. It wasn't something that I was thinking about later in the day or, or later in the week. I think ITV churn these out regularly. It's become a genre in itself, and this one was strong, but it also didn't resonate with me to a great deal where I'm like, I must find out what happens. And I'm coming at it as someone who actually doesn't know what happens. This would be one that'd be easy to watch with the family, but if it was just me on my own, I probably wouldn't feel that compelled to continue. But that's not to say that the performances weren't strong and the world building didn't feel authentic, because it did. I totally agree with what you were saying, Luke. I don't think I can add any more to that, really. I went into this with no expectations, really. Semi-remembering the Raumont case, you focus on initially the human element. So Samantha and then Chris, when he comes in and their relationship, they drop in the little hints about Raumont. You know, she sees the guy on the door at the club that she knows will be communicating with, with Raul in, in prison. 
I like the fact that there was this piece of intel from the prison that nobody looked at and it didn't get to them until after the shooting. I think after the initial incident itself, I wasn't as engaged. Lee Ingleby plays it very, very low key, which is good. But there's no one really to sort of root for. There's not an audience proxy. I really liked Samantha and Chris together, but when they left, it's like, what have we got? We've just got like a procedural on our hands now. And it is going to be maybe Gaza when he comes into it. <laughs> Who knows? I was impressed by this because I didn't think that it would be very much and it, and it gripped me throughout. But I'm in terms of like Luke saying once it finished, there wasn't much there. What about you, Nick? I had a, a few like preconceptions of what this was going to be like because whenever there's a drama about killer like this, what's the angle going to be on that person? It's like, should we be giving them this much attention sort of thing? Like the controversy over the um, Jimmy Savile document, the biopic that's coming out later this year sort of thing. I actually found it really refreshing how they sort of dispelled any sort of notion that he's a hero quite early on. They, they have the people saying, oh, he's a hero. And then they quickly like undercut that with what happens later on. Moat himself uh, isn't really given much. You don't get much back history on him. They don't get much focus on him. In the first episode, especially, it's, it's on the people whose lives are going to be ruined by him. And I found that aspect quite interesting it's like yeah we're not looking at the actual person we're looking at the people whose lives are going to be destroyed otherwise i'd basically agree with the rest of you <laughs> with both of you um i thought like it's a solid procedural and lee ingleby i thought was very good but yeah it didn't it didn't stay with me <laughs> do you feel like with that because of the ages we are now that they're doing stories we know mostly and that makes them instantly less interesting because we sort of know where they're going or doesn't that matter I suppose with something, you know, Nick just mentioned the Jimmy Savile thing, and I think, you know, everyone has got a preconceived notion of that. But I think even this, I remember the name Raumo, and as it went on, I remember bits of the case. It just depends how recent it was and how high profile it was. Because even something like the Salisbury poisonings, for example, I didn't really remember a lot of that. And I think they did really well in bringing out people who had different links to it and you you felt linked to them on a human level and I think what Nick was just saying as well what brought to my mind was four lives last year where again it was sort of focusing on the killer although you do remember Stephen Merchant's performance in that it's very much about the families and how the case was sloppily handled by the police. Yeah, so that's on, as Matt said, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Um, Next up are we the last thing he told me on Apple? Yes. This started with a Luke special, and for those who don't know, and it's starting with a pivotal, exciting scene, and then flashing back to four days later, ten years before all this. But has in your four mind... De- this was four days yes, earlier, it was, Luke, four days earlier. For me, it always says to the audience, the episode you're about to see is quite boring, but remember, <laughs> this exciting thing happens later on, so wait till we get to that. And it did something interesting in inverted commas in as much as we didn't get to that scene in the first episode that we actually were promised at the start is a we've started to call them on the podcast these holiday novels that have been turned into well these these are like the reese witherspoon ones that's almost like a sub-genre now isn't it big little eyes little fires everywhere because she auctions these books now doesn't she i think it started with with Gone Girl, where I think she wants to play the lead role, but then Rosamund Pike was cast. Rosamund Pike's all to blame for this. She's to blame for the Witherverse that we're in now. 
these yeah. books that obviously are quite popular that Reese Witherspoon then options to make into into dramas or yeah. to films. So this is adapted by the novel's uh, writer Laura Davy. Uh, it stars Jennifer Garner as Hannah, who's an artist. She's been married to her husband Owen for a while. They appear to have the perfect relationship, though she's struggling with Owen's teenage daughter Bailey. She's got the typical sort of TV teenage girl vibes that she's not really interested in connecting to her new mother and they have this perfect relationship and then Hannah misses a few calls from her journalist friend and then her husband goes missing she gets uh, a girl turn up at her home who says she met him in school which doesn't make any sense because we find out later he doesn't work in the school but anyway this post-it note this girl hands Hannah says protect her referring to Bailey and Bailey finds a backpack left in a locker full of cash which she tells Hannah about and they worry about what's happened. Turns out that he might be involved in fraud or insider trading. I'm really not really sure about all this. And then Hannah learns from an FBI agent who turns up at her door saying, he's not who you think he is. More he was a US Marshal, wasn't he? Yeah, US yeah. sorry, US Marshal, my apologies. But we don't. E- it's not a very good first episode because we don't even know what the last thing he told her is, apart unless it's protect her. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, okay. I think. But he didn't tell her that. He wrote it on a post-it note. So it should have been... <laughs> the last thing he, he posted me was Protector. It is one pinned from the Witherverse. It's got a lot in common with Surface that Apple did last year. This sort of woman who's discombobulated by people around her. Uh, Jennifer Garner. She's quite a cold presence here. I think for this to work, you really have to be invested in her and interested in... Did you read who it was originally meant to be? No. Julia Roberts. Yeah, I can can see it. I mean, they're pretty much interchangeable, aren't they, these sort of movie women? Bloody movie women. What are they like? (laughs) (laughs) Bloody movie women. What are they like? Anyway, um, so I found her quite cold and I'm not really even sure what the company is he worked for or what he's supposed to have done and it does this well thing. i think that's the thing i think you're not yeah, meant that's to yeah that's the intrigue i suppose the other thing is it does this thing that all these shows do where you spend a bit of time with the guy before he goes missing not enough to really care about him or remember what color eyes or hair he's got you know as soon as he vanishes you also forget everything about him because he's not that interesting of a character Angori Rice, who I loved in Mayor of Easttown and who I loved in The Nice Guys all those years ago when I saw and her in that. And that's the Black Mirror she was in. She doesn't get a lot to do here. She's playing this homeland-type role where she's this annoying teenage daughter. Dana Brody. She's doing a Dana Brody is what she's doing, and it's not that interesting. Can I see this appealing to somebody? But the characters are not there. The intrigue's not there for me. I pretty much agree with you, Luke. You've got to stop doing that, Nick. You need to have your own opinion. I found it frustrating more than anything. I'm not intrigued. (laughs) I normally do like Jennifer Garner in things, uh, but there's just certain things that she does that just winding me up. (laughs) Like There's a bit where she goes to her husband's office and is like asking to see him and, and, the, the, and the police officer is like who are you my husband works here and she's like who's your husband and then jennifer garner just walks away to be fair like, i think the character's doing that i don't i think jennifer garner's <laughs> i don't think is it after jennifer... she sees his parking space is unoccupied yeah, or something like yeah, that yeah that's a giveaway it's very unprofessional of jennifer garner to not finish that scene properly no she should have um, studied it properly as it was written <laughs> um, but yeah i yeah i wasn't i wasn't 
blown away to be honest i normally like everyone involved in this but like the scenes with the daughter or stepdaughter there was like conflict for no reason and there was no real reason given why they don't get on. yeah i agree with that totally that was one of my big things you never know because hannah's just nice to bailey it's not like she particularly talks down to her i think the one thing that we don't know is what happened with Bailey's mum and and yeah. Owen and what you know is he is he widowed is he a divorcee does she think that Hannah stole him away from her mum you know she calls her Maleficent to her boyfriend oh, but dear. like there's no nothing to suggest that she's evil at all it's just you know are we just putting it down to sort of teenage hormones and if so that is a very generic thing because we were talking about beef earlier is Ali Wong in that yeah. she sells sculptures or something and it felt like that was almost like a parody of what Jennifer Garner does in this <laughs> it's like everything is so serious it's like and, and everyone's doing so well at everything and it's just like I, I don't know it just rubbed me up the, yeah. the wrong way Jennifer Garner very much has a movie job in this which is woodworking wood carving and it's yeah. just one of the movie obviously women. we saw her giving Owen a lesson and it's just a good job that he didn't pick her up and start carving her how wooden she is in this um <laughs> I, I think the other thing that, that we, we haven't mentioned is we're watching a thriller, but we're watching it through the less thrilling side of the story. You yeah. know, you want to see what Owen's doing, but we're just sitting there with his wife and his daughter, like shouting at each other for half an hour. You know, you were saying, Luke, about the holiday novel type thing. This didn't even have that. Like normally something like I'll always go back to our house, the Martin Constant thing, where I can see someone sitting down and being involved in the mystery. There was nothing here. It was just all very sort of surface and, and you know, there's nothing about her really. I didn't, I just wasn't involved with her. And, you, you know, I always talk about having that audience proxy. This is just a normal woman who's with this guy that she doesn't know anything about and his teenage daughter who hates her. That's yeah. not enough to go on for me to be involved. You know, there's no other... Big mysteries in there. There's the there's the bag of cash, but mm. it just seems a, very generic, doesn't and it? And then of course we've got the we've spoke about the opening scene, but not what it was about. And it was about those two in a hotel, and then she's lost track of Bailey. Um, so she didn't do a very good job, did no. she? Uh, the last thing you she, told me. I bet she's lost the post-it note. That's what it is. I mean, yeah, she's put it down be. somewhere. <laughs> That'll be it. Uh, the last thing he told me, two episodes are on Apple TV Plus now. I feel like they've done a fair few of these and none of them have stuck. And I will say, as a genre, these can work for me. You know, Big Little Lies is obviously the tent pole for this. It's what... But that what, had more depth to it, yeah, didn't it? So I would much put that on, along the same line as... I would say this is more sort of a Dear Edward type situation. Well, yeah. yeah, I suppose Dear Edward had more heart. This doesn't really have heart. The last thing you told me is airing on Fridays on Apple TV+. Plus. Finally, we're going to Florida uh, for Matt to run down Florida Man. Well, actually, it starts with Philadelphia, Luke, but then it goes to Florida. So this is written and created by uh, Donald Todd. It stars Edgar Ramirez as Mike Valentine, which is a normal everyday name. A former cop who finds himself working for a gangster by the name of Moss Yankov. After... A disastrous evening with his girlfriend, Delhi West. Moss instructs that Mike drive Delhi home. However, their journey gets diverted and she voices her wish to leave Philadelphia for Florida. 
Several weeks later, Delia's fled to Florida and he tasks Mike with retrieving her, which he promises to do as long as the gangster writes off a large amount of the debt he owes. Although he's told that if you don't bring her back, I'm doubling this debt. Mike has an auspicious return to his hometown and quickly goes viral after an incident with a bikini top and a shark. Oh, good God. Whilst Mike's sister is pleased to see him, his retired police chief father is less thrilled, especially when Mike leans on him for information regarding Delhi's whereabouts. Later, Mike uh, finds Delhi, but when he enters the room, he finds that um, it looks like she's already dead. Mike quickly tries to hide the fact that he was in the area, but quickly realises that there's more to Delhi's death than meets the eye which is confirmed by a twist in the final scene of episode one. By that little interlude, I, I know exactly what Luke thinks of it, so I'm going to go to Nick first. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I'm not expecting you to be positive. But I, I, <laughs> he just I wants think... a break from the endless negativity. From Luke, yeah. yeah. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I just thought it was tonally... I didn't really know what to make of it. Mm. I, I kind of got the gist quite early on. With He's working off a deck. So he's a, he's a former cop who's a gambling addict and now he's working off a gambling debt by working for this gangster. Yeah, I, I, I was on board with that. I didn't seem particularly original or anything. And then the moment that lost me was the shark attack on the beach. And it's like, okay, so what is this now? <laughs> it was going from sort of like, I guess, kind of like get shorty type. Mm, of that's exactly what I've got, Nick. I think what they were going for was an Elmore Leonard type yeah. thing, you know, where you've got like a anti-hero and there is those comic moments but also the darker moments that's what i had but then the shark bit coupled with the sort of the music choices it just felt like really in your face and just too much i stuck with it but it's not really for me <laughs> it goes from like quite gritty like because there's a, the guy at the start this bone is sticking out of his leg it's like mm. quite gritty and quite horrible to just very very broad comedy you know there's quite a lot going on because there there's another dead body found in philadelphia which is the guy that he threatened earlier in the yeah in the episode and they've obviously tried to go quite in depth with the plotting but none of it quite works and Anthony lapaglia talking in a voice only dogs can hear as his father who's a retired cop but is a bit dodgy and now runs a bar and again feels like a character lifted from one of those Elmore Leonard books, doesn't he? It all feels a little bit too sort of knowing, not tongue in cheek and then tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's trying to, I think what it's going for is quirky, but it misses the mark. I don't think the writing is as sharp as it needs to be. You need like a charming leading man, like a, you know, you mentioned John Travolta in Get Shorty or George Clooney in Out of Sight. You need someone who, you know, this is a horrible character but you are charmed by him and you can understand why people sort of want to give him this information. But I never got that from the character of Mike Valentine. <laughs> now, yeah. Luke, over to you. I got to about the 20 minute mark and I still wasn't really following who everyone was, their connections, the tone. I just didn't know what I was watching. It didn't make any sense to me. I understand now what you're saying about the Elmore Leonard connection and the tone in that respect but this made so little sense to me one minute it was one thing next minute it was something else the shark attack was when it literally jumped the shark for me i don't know what this was and then after i'd watched it i thought what i'll do is i'll seek out a couple of reviews and i couldn't find a single one it had dropped that day i had to search for it quite hard on netflix there was no buzz about the show at all online it was a real outlier and a really confusing 
drama that didn't work on almost every level. There was no characters I cared about, no names I cared to learn. A world I didn't believe, a world I didn't understand. I just thought it was a mess from the minute it started. I thought it was a mess. But I can see people have having just binged this over the weekend. Can you I think what? Why? Well, because I think that final scene is enough for some people to go, oh, let's see what happens next, because yeah, there is a cliffhanger. My argument would be again. you'd have to get there, and I really struggled to get to that final mm. scene. It was out of loyalty to me. I didn't have an issue with it. it. It did just sort of flow over me, and I, I, I sort of understand where you're coming from in terms of not understanding everything. I don't think they made as big a deal of him being a cop as he once was, because we've all sort of questioned that. I think that came out once he went back to Florida and you saw him with Anthony LaPaglia, who's a cop, and they mentioned like he was a cop like his dad and his um, ex-partner, who we see in Philadelphia, is also a cop and his work, you know. So there is a bit, and it's so, as I said, densely plotted that I don't know how much you are meant to know, how much they're holding back from you. You know, I didn't ever feel like, oh, I need to put this down and come back to it. I watched it all in one sitting, but... It's sort of afterwards you're putting it all together in your head and thinking, well, who is this for? Why would you watch that? And I can see, you know, people do pick a series for the weekend and I can see people doing that and and working their way through it. And I think... Do Barry. Do Barry, people. If you're thinking of that, do Barry. I know this goes out on Barry isn't on Netflix, Luke. No, I know. It's the Netflix effect. It does have a hook at the end. That there's a narrative hook, it's like sort of twist. I can imagine would would make you go, oh, and once what once and, it happens next. And next episode in five, four, three, two, exactly. one. Here we are. <laughs> By the time you've tried to find the remote, the next episode's on, and you've seen the whole series. <laughs> but that's something that was missing from the last thing you told me, where that 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 just felt like that end. Mm. Like that's, and as you say, they didn't even go back to the cliffhanger at the end no. that they'd set up at the start of the episode. You know, that's something that's got up on. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed this more than the last thing he told me. I know yeah. that's not that's damning with faint praise, but of those two dramas, both of which we're quite lukewarm on, especially not Luke. Even, no, 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 I'm not yeah. even warm. I'm no, ice no. cold. But we felt like everyone was at least trying in this, whereas I didn't feel like that in the last thing he told me. I thought everyone was just going through the motions. Yeah. Well, I, I really struggled to work out the connections between everyone. Mm. At one point, densely plotted and also seemed like nothing was going on. It's a weird dichotomy. I, I felt like there was a lot going on, but then nothing going on under the surface. There was no, It had no charm. And you talk about Elmore Leonard and having Nick yeah. here immediately makes me think of Justified and Timothy Oliphant's grounding performance there that makes everything, however crazy and however rednecky, just just worked. I mean, you need like someone like a John Hamm in his heyday, I think, would make this work. Someone like that. I don't know. Somebody interesting sort of... to watch. Yeah. The issue is, it's like... Series, it's like a play on the sort of phenomenon of the, or the internet meme of the Florida man, right? Where it's yeah. just bizarre things happening to a Florida man. I feel like that's what's going to happen. Every episode, there's going to be something bizarre that happens to him, and it's going to be a headline somewhere saying, Florida man gets bitten in the crotch by a shark. Florida man, that's the bit I don't like. <laughs> it's difficult to separate. And to be fair, Nick, I didn't get that until you've just explained that to me. <laughs> so there you go. The soundtrack as well is found really abrasive. Just literally every time it just came on really loud, it's like, oh, it's a, we're relevant. It's a modern <laughs> tune. Still anyway, uh, Florida man all on Netflix now, if you'd like to uh, sample it. And Nick, you'd say, based on what you said at the start, that Disney Plus is your go-to streamer at this point, would you? At the moment, I've got Disney Plus, Netflix, 
and crime and I just sort of vary <laughs> Disney Plus is good for like all the obviously all the sort of IP that we're talking about like Star Wars and stuff and and, and it has justified now which is yes. another reason with that so yeah I guess so I guess that's the one I go to most but Netflix is there as well but it's just there seems to be less new stuff on there that I'm interested in beef I think beef is the exception I don't think there's much on there that I'm I've seen it like, oh, I have to watch that, you know. Mm. And do yeah. you watch most things with your wife or do you tend to watch things separately and and how long do you spend going through all the streaming services and then going, it's half midnight, we need to go to, <laughs> <laughs> we need to, go to bed now, we haven't seen anything. <laughs> with something like Succession, we always, we, we always watch that together. Beef, we started to watch together and we both got stressed out, so we put that off and we're going to watch it another time. <laughs> <laughs> right okay fair enough that's interesting i get that though because sometimes you don't want something that involving do you although then you said you binge blue lights so <laughs> when you're getting into like genre territory it's all right like it's a procedural i can watch that i know what i'm getting into but with beef it's like i relate to Stephen young too much Ooh, that's Just... dangerous we learned something about nick we didn't know the, the sort of awkwardness about just normal human interactions yeah. that like, mm. Yeah. That's just something I relate to too much, and I was watching it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can carry on with this just now because <laughs> it's going to get too yeah. stressful. When I identify with such a tiny little thing, I'm like, this is not, this is going to not be good for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was. Uh, if you just tuned in, that was Nick's therapy session nearly complete. Yeah. Um, thank you so much again. Uh, Nick is on Twitter with a clever pun. You tell people where you can find you. It is uh, IMD Bartlett, which is a very clever pun. Thank it you. It is now because there's a B at the. I get it. There's a B at the end. I yeah, <laughs> my full name on there is Inter- Internet Movie Data Bartlett, which is a bit less what, clever. What's on the podcast next week, Matt? Before we let everybody go, ITV One Drama in uh, Malpractice mm. and Dead Ringers on Prime Video with Rachel Vice and other things as well. Ooh, you've sold that I know don't forget as well as we always say uh, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice we are everywhere the website is thecustardtv.com give that a look if you haven't for a long time and Matt will be back with two people he has asked to come back with him uh, to review those two shows and two others that you have to find in the obscure places on the internet that he finds these shows pull back the curtain why don't you take care bye Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.